So we're starting a brand new series called All In. It's the book of Colossians. If you'll turn your Bibles there, it's in the New Testament. About halfway through, it's probably not more than a page or two in your Bible. It's four little chapters, and we're just going to spend literally five weeks going through this little letter that Paul wrote to a church in the middle of modern-day Turkey. In fact, it's a church that Paul never went to. He didn't start the church. It doesn't tell us how the church started, who took the gospel there. But somehow the gospel went there, a church got started, and Paul writes this letter to them to encourage them in their faith. So that's what we're going to take a look at. So get your Bibles out, iPhones, iPads, whatever you've got, and we'll, we'll get to that. But I had a friend of mine this week. He was, he was actually hit by a car. It was a rental car he got hit by. He said, it really hurts. I don't need validation. I don't need validation. I entitled the message tonight, uh, I'm trying to find myself. Maybe you said those words. I have. Trying to figure out who I am, what God wants me to do. What's amazing is most people continue to look in the wrong place. I'm trying to find myself. Well, how are you doing that? I'm on a heroin trip for three, for three weeks. How's that working? I've been trying to find myself. I've been drunk for 30 years. How's that working? Have you noticed people rarely look in the right place when they're trying to find themselves? If you're really trying to find yourself, shouldn't you first figure out why you're here? Let me help you. The Bible's very clear. The chief goal of man. You want to write this down? Before you can go to sleep right after I say this, all right? The chief goal of man is to glorify God. That's why God created us. That's why God created everything. Do you understand the stars do what they're supposed to do? They praise God. Sun does what it's supposed to do. Praises God. The dog... He does what he's supposed to do. He praises God. The only thing that God created that he gave free will to is man, and we're the only thing that rebels against him. We don't give him the glory that he's meant to have. That's our purpose. So if you're trying to find yourself, you've got to figure out, how do I give glory to God with my life, with my time, with my marriage, with my singleness, with my money, with my house, if everything I am is meant to give glory to God. And first, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, do everything to the glory of God. Now, let me help you with that. If you can't do it to the glory of God, you oughtn't to be doing it. Like that word, oughtn't? Like that word? You just oughtn't to be. That's what this guy's where we talk in Missouri. If you can't do this and glorify God, then you shouldn't do it. And if it's something that's neutral, then you got to figure out, how do I do what I'm doing and do it to glorify God? How do I lift up Jesus in the process? So Paul writes to this church, and I want to show you a picture. This is a mound. This, this is where the church was. This is the city of Colossae. Now this tells me a number of things. This church no longer exists, quite obviously. 
But the church had a huge impact on the kingdom of God, which we're going to study here in the next five weeks. It is one of the few sites in the New Testament that we've never excavated. This is literally the city of Colossae. All right. I don't know what house the church met in. We don't even know what is underneath the mound. We just know that's where the city was. And for whatever reason, nobody has gotten around to digging this place up yet. But that's where, that's where the city was. So this church existed for a period of time. But during its period of time, oh, what an impact it made on the kingdom of God. If you'll stand with me out of respect for God's word, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be all in because he starts off by telling them, you are doing it right. You are all in. Paul, an apostle, one who is sent by Jesus Christ, the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven and which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way this gospel, because of you, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. You can be seated. All right, there's a whole, whole lot there. But we go back to the premise. My purpose, your purpose, the church in Colossae's purpose, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your sole purpose is to bring glory to God. How do I make God look better and brighter and stronger and better because I'm here? Three simple processes here. First thing he says, bear fruit. He, th- he, he encourages them. He says, because of you and your bearing fruit, pay attention to this. He says, the gospel has gone out all over the world. He only uses that term twice. It's used in here, in this passage, and it's used when he talks about the church in Thessalonica, which is in Greece. So this church in Turkey and the church in Thessalonica, he says, you have set the world on fire. And Paul doesn't even know who these people are. He didn't start the church. He didn't train anybody there. He just heard about them and writes them a letter and said, all I know is whatever you guys are doing, keep doing it because the world is hearing about Jesus because your church exists. 
There's an old there's an old question that pastors often ask one another. If your church was taken out of the community, would the community notice? If you were taken out of the church, would the church notice? See, those are the kind of questions that force us to look inside and say, am I really bringing glory and honor to God? When he says bearing fruit, he, he says, you're bearing fruit, it's going all over the world. And then he says that later on, he says, keep bearing fruit. The word bearing fruit there, it's not, I don't think this will surprise you. The Greek word is the word fertile. What does that mean? If you're fertile, you're going to give birth. If, 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 you, if you have a tree, you want the tree to be fertile, right? You want fruit to come off the tree. But if you want this orchard to continue to go on, what do you have to do? You've got to plant more trees. Does that make sense to anybody? You've got to plant more trees. You've got to plant more churches. You've got to help more people come to Jesus. I talk to churches all the time, leadership, like, oh, we, we don't really do much, but man, do we love each other. I have a hard time understanding that being the church. He said the church is meant to be fertile. We're planting churches. We're helping new people find Jesus. We're helping people who have drifted away come back to Jesus. The purpose is to bear fruit. In fact, we go so far, and you've heard me teach this for a long, long time if you've been at this church. When you plant an apple tree, you expect to harvest what? You don't say, man, those leaves are nice. Two or three years of that, you're going to cut the tree down. Am I right? You plant an orange tree because you want oranges. When God plants a Christian, he wants a fellowship dinner. He wants us to hold hands with each other. When God plants a Christian, he wants to grow more Christians. The whole reason you came to Christ besides your soul is to help somebody else. Jesus said in John 15, 1 to 3, the whole chapter really, but in verses 1 to 3, he said, If you remain in me, I will remain in you, and you will bear not only fruit, but much fruit. Much fruit. Well, I think what that means is that we, we grow deeper in love with each other. No, no, no. When an apple tree bears much fruit, it means I get a bunch of apples. Right? That's why what's important to us here, what we talk about, is when people find Jesus. The six people that were baptized at the ocean this last week, that's why the church exists. was for those six people. If everything else we did all weekend was just for those six people, it was well worth it. That's the purpose of the church. Jesus said, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you, and you will keep being fertile. You'll keep reproducing yourself. And then he says in verse 8, he said, when you bear much fruit, well, let's look at it. Here it is. Tell me what it says. This is to my Father's glory. Oh, I heard that somewhere. This is to my Father's glory that you do what? bear fruit. If the sole purpose of my existence is to glorify God, and I glorify God by bearing fruit, then i got to figure out how to help more people find Jesus, how to get more churches planted so more people can find Jesus. And listen, everything we do here is focused on that. Right? Why do we do the shoeboxes? Because half of the shoeboxes that go out, I, I can't remember, it's 100 million a year that go out now, Half of those shoeboxes, we can directly say, those kids find Jesus Christ because of that shoebox. 
So if 100 million shoeboxes go out, 50 million kids are going to find Jesus. That's a pretty good day, isn't it? So this is pretty simple. I'm not real good with math, but if you want 10 kids to find Jesus, do 20 boxes. Right? This is how, this is how it works. Because we don't just do things to do them. Everything we do has a purpose of bearing fruit, but also to help you bear fruit. Because of the golf tournament, literally, there are three churches in amongst the Aztec Indians. I haven't told this story for a long time. But the Aztec Indians have never been followers of Christ. If you go back into the 1500s, they didn't get treated real well by the Spanish when the Spanish showed up. They killed everybody. Who they didn't kill, they gave smallpox to so that that killed them. And they stole all their gold and silver. Right? And guess who they did it under? The name of Jesus. Right? They came in the name of the church. So the Aztecs have not been real thrilled with Jesus since the 1500s. But in the last 10 years, there's... 100, 150 Aztecs that have become Christians in three different churches because you play golf. All right? I'm just telling you. That's, that is, you're like, you're like, well, is this a big deal? We don't do it if it's not a big deal. All right? It's like, well, Joe's always harping about something. But behind my harping, if you ask me, I'll explain to you why I'm harping. All right? I'll explain to you why we're doing this. There's 100 kids in the orphanage, yes, and 12 of those kids were baptized two months ago in Mexico City. 12 more kids into the kingdom, and what are those 12 kids going to do when they grow up? Who knows what God has planned? Listen, I don't think, this is a quote, let me get the quote right, because I'm stealing it, so I want to get it right. Um, motivation is not our problem. Our motivation is fine. For most of us, the problem is discipline. I want to do something good. I want to glorify God. But what does the discipline look like to get it done? What do I have to do? Well, I may have to show up and teach class. I may have to help in the children's department. I, I may have to give some, to something. I may have to volunteer my time at the food pantry. Most of us have the right motivation in the heart where we fail is discipline. That's why I'm not playing in the major leagues right now. Not because I didn't want to. It's because I didn't have the discipline or the talent. It takes both. But... Most Christians, it's not that you don't want to. It's that we haven't dug deep enough and said, no, I've got to do this. Do you know you can buy a, a plane ticket right now on Qantas? Look at that. Um, you can't go anywhere. But people are buying tickets for 12-hour flights to nowhere. Look it up. You can buy a ticket from 50, for $530 up to $2,800 if you want to go first class to nowhere. They go up, they fly around, and they come back to Sydney. But that way you can feel like you're doing something because I'm used to flying. Now just think about that. Just run that through your head. I read the story and I thought, that's been me. And that's been a lot of churches. And that's been a lot of Christians I know. Man, we're busy. We've got to get on the plane. Where's the plane going? Nowhere. We're going to get up there and we're going to fly for about 12 hours. And then we'll come back and land right where we got off. But didn't we look good doing it? And we missed the whole point. We forgot that our purpose to glorify God is by bearing fruit. And then he says, 
And you need to remember while you're bearing fruit to be worthy of God. Well, I'm out. How you doing? Only, only can I find worthiness in myself because of what Jesus did for me. And he's reminding them that when you're, you, you have a standard to uphold. See, when you go, let's just go back to that golf analogy. When you go out golfing with that non-Christian friend and you outcuss him, what are the chances that he's going to find your Jesus? Probably not much. See, that's where we've got to change who we are. And I'm changing. I'm not changing to be saved. I was saved because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. But I might have to make changes in my life so that I can help other people get saved. Does that make sense to you? Live a life that is worthy. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 is a prisoner of the Lord. Paul's writing from prison in, to the Colossians and to Ephesians. He's in a Roman jail. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. What's my calling? What's your calling? We already talked about this. You've been here? What's my calling? To glorify God. That's why I'm here. So with whatever I have, wherever I'm at, you can't do with something you don't have, but with what you have, where you are, my job is to glorify God because I have been called, so live a life worthy of that. Well, what does that mean? It means I've got to get my sexuality under control. I've got to get my finances under control. I've got to get, I've got to get my mouth under control. Have I caught everybody yet? See... I have a class on Wednesday night of, of, of high, older high school and college age young men. And I love it because it's one of the few places I can truly be honest. Because they're honest with me. They come in and just say, hey, look, here's what I'm dealing with. And I'm like, I get it. Despite being very old, I understand. I do remember what it was like to be 17 years old. And I understand the struggles that they're facing, not to mention all the extra pressure that's on them now in a culture that's lost its mind. But we talk honestly. That's what God's looking for from us. Let's have some honest conversations so that we can move into that category. I'm not worthy because I'm a good person. I'm worthy because I have... Let Jesus cleanse my life, cleanse my sin, and now I am allowed to serve Him. And because I'm worthy, what do I do? I bear more fruit. I bear more fruit. Even out of my pain, I bear more fruit. Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin. This is the, the people that arrested them, some of the, some of the uh, big shots in, in Jerusalem. They were rejoicing that they had been counted worthy. Counted worthy to what? To suffer. They'd been arrested, beaten, and whipped. And told, don't talk anymore about Jesus. And when they left prison the next day, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy. God, God, let, God let me be imprisoned and beaten because He thinks that I'm equal with Jesus. That's not how most people look at suffering. But that's the biblical position. We have... Missionaries that we support, I can talk openly now. They're getting ready to make a movie about their life. It's been three years in a Chinese prison because they talked openly about Jesus. They never did really bring charges against them. You don't have to have charges in China. But they, they risk everything to tell their story. And when you talk to them now, all they'll tell you is how incredible their God is 
and was, whether they're in prison or whether they're free, that Jesus was faithful to them and used them in prison, out of prison. He, they said, God is so faithful. And they explained how much they learned by being imprisoned. And I'm thinking, that, that's, God, let me learn out here. I don't, I don't have to go that route. But maybe you do. Maybe we will have to give up something for our faith. Maybe we will have to be where Paul is. Again, Paul does his best writing from a Roman prison. He's behind bars when he pins all these letters to these churches. Things are not good for him. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be tough to hear this if this guy was writing from some palace somewhere? If all we heard was, hey, listen, everything's really good for me. I hope you guys figure it out. No, Paul said, listen, I know what it's like to be persecuted. I know what it's like to be arrested. I know what it's like to suffer. He said, rejoice because you are worthy to be called a Christian. That's what we're after. Even if they do it in a negative way, which is becoming more and more, isn't it? There's real question, real questions. They were first called Christians in a place called Antioch. It's in Turkey, Syria. They were first called Christians at Antioch, but nobody says it was a good term. We read it and go, yeah, look, they were first called Christians. No, it was, those people are Christians. Do you understand what they did to us? We've been killed, slaughtered all over the world for 2,000 years. It's going on all over Africa right now. Look up murders in Ethiopia, Uganda, Nigeria, Boko Haram, all kinds of Muslim terrorists slaughtering Christians all over the world. Nobody's even talking about that. Christians have been giving their lives for their faith forever. And he says, listen, keep bearing fruit, but be worthy. And then I love this last part. He says, bring people into the light. Now look at it very carefully. I kept rereading it this afternoon because it didn't say what I thought it said. And I wrote and I wrote it. Look at the last few verses. It says, our job is to take people from the kingdom of darkness... And bring them into, it doesn't say that. Look at your Bibles. I even went back and looked in the Greek. It doesn't say it in the Greek either. He says, bring them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. The assumption is when you bring them into the kingdom of Jesus, they're in the light. He didn't have to say it. Now we're told in the Old Testament and it's quoted in the book of Acts that the gospel has come to the Gentiles so that we might see the light. There it is, Acts thirteen forty seven. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. I'm not a light. No, I'm not. I'm a reflector of the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is the light of the world. I am the reflector of that light. But do you understand how many people in our world are living in absolute darkness. They're on the way to hell. Whether, whether we're, you, you pick the sin, it's going on. People are lost. They're blind. They're, they have been totally decimated by the world around them. Okay, maybe that's not close enough to home. How about people in the United States that are living in darkness that are going to hell? Not close enough? How about Florida? Not close enough? How about your house? People we know living in darkness. And he says, our job, bear fruit, be worthy, and bring people into the kingdom of his son. Sometimes we forget that the kingdom we belong to, it's an eternal kingdom. 
It's a kingdom, Daniel chapter 2 says, that will not be destroyed by anything that mankind does, but the kingdom of God will ultimately crush all the other kingdoms. God's going to win. All you and I got to do is make sure that we're on the team. If you've not accepted Jesus, we want you to make that decision. Prayer team over here, and there's people over here, if you need to make a decision for Jesus, you're online. I have decided. It would be crazy for you to go through this entire exercise and say, well, what do I do now? Well, you start by accepting Jesus. If you are a Christian, then you go back and say, how am I going to glorify God? How do I glorify God? How do I become more worthy of looking like a Christian? How do I enact my life in such a way that I bear fruit, that I'm planting new seeds, that new, new things are happening because of what I'm doing to glorify God? And what am I doing to turn on the light? You know, sometimes it's complex. Sometimes it's not so hard. I can't fix anything. Don Jenkins sitting back there in the back room. Don fixes everything at my house. Am I right, Don? Yeah. My wife said, you see that's broken? I said, put it on Don's list. She said, can't you do anything? I said, no. 36 years, you know that. I can't do it. The only thing that I can do is screw in a light bulb. All right? Now, Don puts in the fancy ones, but I can do the regular, the regular light bulbs. And as soon as I put in a new light bulb, guess what happens? The light comes on. You don't have to be any great genius to put in a light bulb. Anything else? Put it on Don's list. He'll take care of it. But I can put in a light bulb. All you've got to do is say, you know what? I'm going to show somebody and I'm going to talk differently. I'm going to act differently. I'm going to show them there's something different about me. And so that we can have a conversation to bring them out of darkness into the light of God. And he said, in that relationship with the Son, what do we have? Forgiveness of sins. When I have forgiveness of sins, guess what's happened? I just found myself. The problem is, we used to play hide and seek as kids. I assume everybody did. I guess if you're, if you're like 25 or under, you probably played on your phone. You, is that, there's probably some way to do that now on, the, on a computer, I'm sure. Uh, but we used to do it in real life. It was crazy. It was really crazy. Um, but every time we play hide-and-seek, when I would go and look for people and I didn't find them, you know why I didn't find them? Anybody? I was looking in the wrong place. If you look in the right place, I'd find them. And if you'd start looking for yourself in the right place, in the one who created you, in Jesus Christ, you will find yourself. Let me leave you with this thought. Always try to do one thing to stir your head, right? Scientists have, uh, have figured out what our universe looks like. I think this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. If evolution is true, then nothing blew up and nothing was in space and space created itself and matter created itself and time created itself. All right, that's, that's its own problem. But let's just assume for a moment we're going to give the evolutionists time, matter, and space that they haven't earned, but we're going to give it to them. And it blew up. There was a big bang. What would you expect? If we shot off a cannon, what would you expect the universe to look like? Boom! It would be, right? We would expect the universe to be blown that way. Yes? Am I stupid? Come on. I may be, but... 
if, we, if there was a big bang, we would assume that it would have blown up. Let me show you what the universe looks like. It's a football. Now, I'm not going to make any comments about that. I'm just going to leave that there. But what are the odds of the universe expanding in all directions in a symmetrical plan? In the book of Job, it says God stretches out the heavens. Well, there it is. I don't know where we're at, some little speck in the middle of all of that. But that's what the whole universe looks like. And it's probably sitting on God's coffee table. That's the God that we serve, folks. What is my purpose? What's your purpose? What's the chief goal of man? To bring glory to God. Father, I pray that we would do that as individuals. I pray we would do that as a church. That we would, we would turn the light on for other people. That we would invest in young people, plant new seeds, plant new churches. That our passion would be to see everyone find Jesus, everybody that's in our range, that we would put a light bulb in so there would be some kind of connection for the world, that they would get a glimmer that there's something better than the darkness that they're living in. But Lord, maybe we needed to hear that tonight, that I got to get back to just bringing glory to my Creator and my Savior, in whose name I pray.